1: So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment question, which you can do right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's eight 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 ninety nine chart So let's get right to our first listener question now.
2: Hello, big fan of the show. I just
3: wanted to see what kind of economic reports or indicators you guys use to see what kind of a uh, market environment we're in. Thank you.
1: Well, that's a loaded question. Because there are many, many indicators that that matter, but they, none of them matter in a vacuum. It's as a whole. And what you want to be looking at are more leading indicators. Now, what are leading indicators? Consumer sentiment, uh, ISM new orders, because remember, leading is about what's going to happen. Three, six, nine months down the line. That's what's most important when you're looking at GDP, for example. Those numbers are backwards looking. Same with jobs numbers. Now, there's some more kind of coincidental indicators. Think of unemployment, new unemployment um, claims. That's a weekly number that you can kind of get a sense of where the trend is going, and it's kind of real time. But ideally, you want to be looking at indicators that are telling you something about the future. For example, building permits. Building permits. When home builders want to build a home, they need to get it permitted create the plans before they actually start doing anything. And so if those building permits are rising, that means there to be more activity from them in the future, more homes being built, more people buying homes, more furniture being purchased, more movers being hired. Buying a home creates a lot of economic activity. So those are a few of the factors. Once again, I could go on for hours touching on important economic numbers, but... My main point here is make sure you're looking. and You can look these up. What are forward economic indicators, or excuse me, leading economic indicators? What are coincidental and what are lagging? Most people, when they're looking at, when they're talking about economic data, they're looking at things that are lagging, that are that are from a month to two months ago. Uh, so, so make sure you try to focus on things that are more up to date and leading.
3: Hey guys, Suzanne from Michigan, I've been meaning to call and ask your thoughts about the S&P index funds and whether it's preferable to buy an equal-weighted fund versus the typical market cap-weighted. I wonder if, especially now with the tech or growth slowing and with many of us having indexed S&P funds, should we perhaps shift some portion or perhaps add an equal-weighted fund to our diversified portfolios? I look forward to hearing your thoughts and analysis on the podcast. As always, thank you.
1: All right, looking at the S&P equal weight ETF and the answer is yes you definitely should be looking at the equal weight over the over over the the market cap weight right the S&P itself is market cap weighted meaning the larger the company is the bigger percentage of the portfolio or the 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 index it is and what that means is there's a lot more room for downside for the large companies so there's less volatility because you're weighted in those larger cap names, but there's also the potential for more downside. And long term, mid caps, small caps, they tend to do better than large caps over the long term. They have more room to grow on the upside. And so, if you're in a market cap weighted index, those smaller cap names, which may, some of them may grow dramatically over time, they can double and triple, quadruple quite easy. And if you're a market cap, you're going to have very low, market cap weighted. You're going to have a very low exposure there. Equal weighted, you're going to have the same weighting for the largest company and the smallest company S and P. So basically, every you have 500 stocks, every stock in the equal weighted ETF or index is going to be about 0.2 percent, whether it's large or small. And so, in these times, especially, I do think. Adding an equal weight ETF is much better than a market cap weighted ETF. Great question. And thanks for the call.
4: You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
5: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still
6: think aluminum has a ways to go from
5: here.
3: When do I know the right time to take? Profit.
2: Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here?
5: And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
7: I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several
1: years now, and I've my host the Invest Talk Podcast. I have the satisfaction of taking caller questions and then breaking down the often complex dynamics involved. If you've never called, don't hold back. You can leave your Invest Talk questions on the 24-7 Anytime Listener line at 888 99 chart.
7: Hi Steve and Justin. My name is Brandon from Oklahoma and I just kind of had a, a general question about you know, how the stock market grows, you know, because right now obviously it's kind of going down the bear market for Nasdaq and you know, could possibly enter that for S&P and Dow. And, uh, you know, people say, you know, the stock market has an upward trajectory throughout the years, which has been proven true. But how does it keep growing? You know, people are saying, you know, by 2035, the Dow will be, you know, 100,000 points, whereas right now it's in the 30s. How does the valuation just keep growing and growing and growing? And then obviously you have people that say, well, it can't grow forever. I'm just curious, is it just people spend more money, people buy more products, there's more people with more money. And so people, you know, that drives stocks up. Just, I'm kind of curious how the overall market as a whole continues to grow. And obviously just keep investing to grow your money over a long period of time. Thank you very much.
4: That's actually a pretty good question, and there's different dynamics that drive the growth of the stock market. First of all, you got new stocks coming aboard on all the time, IPOs, initial public offerings. At the same time, you have stocks being bought by other companies or taken private all the time, too. A good example for that will be Facebook when uh, Elon Musk takes it private. It will no longer be a stock on the exchange. But another way, remember you got to remember earnings grow every year. Companies grow their earnings. That's their that's their focus. So if earnings grow every year, technically the stock price should go up every year. Even though that's not true. But you also have companies who const- constantly buy their stocks out of the open market. They take so the shares trading in the float are going down, which drives drives earnings per share up. Stocks go up when earnings go up. That's the overall background rule you should understand. So how do stocks go up when earnings go up? Well, that's you and me. We drive the price up. We decide. And sometimes we'll value a dollar's worth of earnings at a P.E. of maybe 15, and other times we may value that same dollar at a P.E. of 30 because maybe the sales growth is going well. And remember, the stock market is dynamic, A a healthy economic system, a free economic system is dynamic, meaning companies go out of business, new companies take over. Uh, you should read the book, Creative Destruction. Companies go out of business for reasons. They're destroyed. And then we create new companies. And this pushes all these different things, push prices and stocks up. Okay? It's, it's more than just one thing. It's multiple things. Good question. Hey, guys, this is uh, Dan from Seattle. Uh, You guys manage my portfolio. I just want to say thanks. You're doing a great job with it.
2: But I manage my niece and nephew's Roth IRAs, and I just had a quick question. I have them in the three fund portfolio with three ETFs SCHG, SCHV, and SCHA, which is large cap growth, large cap value, and small cap stock, or uh, ETFs all through Schwab. And what we do is every month we go in and we buy whichever one is down the lowest. So we've been buying lots of value over the last two years and now we're buying lots of growth. And I know you say growth will probably underperform, but with them having such long time horizons of both 20 years old, uh, 18 and 20, is that a good strategy just to keep buying whichever one's dipping the most and not letting them get too unbalanced? But I just w- wanted to see what you thought of that three fund portfolio and that strategy.
4: Thank you. Uh, frankly, there's nothing wrong with it if it's a long-term outlook, because there's times when value outperforms, there's times that growth outperforms, and we've been dealing with growth outperforming for a number of years, and we feel, uh, Justin and I feel, that it's ter- values turn, but that doesn't mean growth doesn't work, it just means that value should perform better uh, for a while. How long, we don't know. I mean, no one really knows these things, but I think a good spread that you have, and ETFs are spread out broadly into the sectors they're in, I see nothing wrong with you holding on to that. It will be fine.
5: Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice.
3: When do I know the right time to
2: take profits?
5: And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
6: I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot.
5: So don't forget to call InvestTalk. Eight 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 ninety nine 99
7: chart Hi, my name is Brandon, and uh, I just started my investing, mainly Roth IRAs for me and my wife, but I also have about a $20,000 account that I'm kind of dabbling in. My question is, I made a lot of gains off of the 2020 lows, and now I'm switching to more of a, like, three ETS, three stocks, like Microsoft, like kind of safer stocks. I have a 20-year horizon and. My question is simply, you know, since I'm, my retirement's so far out, how do I deal with the ups and downs? Like, it's, it's been a very volatile year, and, like, I believe today it's, like, 3% down. How do I, you know, the mindset of not looking or just, you know, just keep investing and don't worry about the today's climate necessarily, invest for the future? Thank you.
4: Okay, that's an excellent question because – The biggest problem most people have is they let fear and greed control their decisions. And many people don't even think they're doing that. But they are doing it. When I say fear and greed, they feel what happens is that your 401k, your IRA goes down 50%. Fear sets in, and they tend to sell. And this is not something I'm making up. There's been study after study proving this. Then after the market recovers quite a bit, they tend to get back in. What are you doing? You're selling low and buying high. You're doing just the opposite of what you should do in the stock market. So, one of the solutions is don't ever sell. Just stay in the market. If you're a long-term investor, you can just stay in the market, buy indexes, and just hold on, and you'll be fine. Now, as you get closer to retirement, you might want to be a little bit sharper, by maybe spreading out into different asset classes, uh, bonds, and particularly to, you know, spread your risk, okay? But it really comes down from the onset, well, how risky do you want to be? You want to take full stock market risk, what you do, buy an index and just stay the course. Now, if you have the ability, when the market is high like it has been, produce some cash and then the next recession, dump all that money back in. If you can do that when the market has crashed, you'll be much better off. Most people can't do it. The market's crashed. Oh my God, I can't get into market. It's crashed. It's still crashing. How far do I? Maybe it goes down to zero. The, the fear sets in. Now, when the market's high, everybody gets greedy. For instance, you said you had a really good return from last year. What are you doing? you probably should take some of that off the table a little bit. You know, at least a very, very at least rebalance into more uh, defensive-type positions, maybe maybe some commodity stocks, you know, maybe get out of your high-growth positions, you know, but then you're going to have to know what know how to do – you're going to have to learn how to manage your portfolio. And if you can't do that or don't have the time to do that or don't want to do that – just stay in the indexes. You'll be fine. Especially if you're in a 401k and the money keeps coming in and you keep having money to invest, you know, you can just keep investing right through the crash. You want to crash because then you get to buy things jump sale if you're a long-term investor. Okay? You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience. We're here to answer your questions.
5: No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART.
4: Let's go to Richard in the Bay Area. Hi, Richard. Uh, hey, Steve. Thanks for taking my call again. I Thank appreciate you. all of your answers. And I had a question about
3: uh, small cap companies in, um, in terms of their response to a fair market. I know they start a bear market, like they, they typically go down first and then the large caps um, value follow them.
4: But out of a bear market,
2: um, how does it go? Does it go same way, like
4: large caps and small caps? You mean in the bull um, market or when or it t- turns or when it turns up, you mean? Yeah, when it, when it turns around. Yeah, when okay, it turns yeah. up, when, when, when
3: we are recovering from a bear market. How
4: yeah, they, they will recover much faster. Small-cap growth stocks will mo- recover much faster. They go down fast and deep, and they recover fast. Okay? So don't think that it's all a bad deal. It's just a, how can can you stomach the volatility? Because, you know, they could lose 50 80% of the value. Right? I mean, that's not uncommon. And, you know, back in 2008, they went down more than 50%. The overall market went down 50%. They went down farther than that, especially the small cap growth. And they also have trouble when interest rates are rising. That, you know that we're in a rising interest rate environment. They don't like that at all because they use borrowed money to help grow their company. And that's a, that's a general statement. Okay, so just be aware. Yeah, they'll they'll bounce up fast. They will, once the bottom is put in, wherever that is. Once it's perceived that the Fed has, is, is slowing or stopping raising rates, once they perceive that the damage to the economy is, is complete, there's no more damage to, done to the economy because of the Fed, then they'll start turning around. And just so you know, everybody, the stock market will move up before you see the evidence of the economy moving up. If we go into recession... And just the reason why I'm talking recession, we already have the first quarter, we shrank 1.4%. The GDP shrank 1.4% because of high inflation. That reduces the 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 nominal number, right? So next next quarter we're still dealing with a high inflation. So we still that could be the second quarter in a row where the GDP shrank. We're in a recession. That's the definition. Now it might not be very painful because we have lots of jobs, but we're still in a recession. Thank you for the thank you for the call. I appreciate the question.
0: Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions to do that on your own thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good solid investing principles but we need your questions to keep us on track 888-99-CHART or click on contact steve or contact justin on investtalk.com let's
1: go to edgar in san diego how you doing edgar
3: yes hi justin how are you doing well Justin I have a question this is uh, I have some uh, I had some financial mutual fund and uh-huh. I was under the impression if the interest rate goes up financial will benefit uh-huh. but looks like it it is the other way around now uh-huh. I was wondering why is that and then after that I have a question about uh, some value ETF
1: Well, very simple, and this is uh, why I kind of got neutral on banks uh, a couple months ago after being bullish for a little while, is you're correct that higher interest rates are typically good for banks unless they slow the economy, and that creates an uptick in defaults, and so higher interest rates are good as long as those higher interest rates aren't Aren't creating headwinds, major headwinds to economic growth. And the pace that the Fed has raised rates at has clearly created headwinds. I uh, remember the markets pricing that in and has started to price that in. So, just like anything in the investment world, it's never one factor. A lot of people like to chalk up certain price movements to one thing or another. It's usually multiple factors and everything is good up into a point. And same with higher interest rates uh, in in this market. So, um, you know, the fact that the US, U.S. economy shrank a bit in the first quarter, uh, just goes to show you that those higher interest rates have 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 crimped some economic activity. Okay, what was your second question?
3: Since I uh, unload my financial and I'm looking at value mm-hmm. ETF or funds and mm-hmm. I am not sure which way should I go, a mid-cap, a mega-cap value or mid-cap value. What is your take?
1: Well, longer term, mid-cap value is going to do much better. Just simply based on math, uh, there's more upside for uh, more mid-cap companies that are quote-unquote undervalued. Whereas mega caps, I mean, they're mega caps. So how, how cheap can they really be when they're mega cap, right? Just simply based on the total value. Not to say you can't find bargains in that space. Um, it's just much better risk versus reward in uh, the mid caps. Then long term, mid caps are simply going to outperform uh, large caps. So uh, now it depends on, on your time horizon, though. In the you know short to medium term, those mega caps might do a little bit better, uh, just simply because they're more blue chip and in a, in a, in a rougher market, uh, they tend to have less downside. Um, so it really depends on your time horizon there. But anything beyond a couple of years, I'm, I would expect mid caps to do much, much better.
4: Thank you so much. No problem. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive K E R O N E dot com, HackerOne dot com. One of the
4: most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888
1: 99 chart. Let's go to Nick and Hayward, talk about P ratios.
4: Yeah,
3: hi, Justin. Uh, I want to ask you uh, it's a great show you have. Uh, thank you very much. How do you know when a stock is cheap enough? It's not just a P-E PE ratio, I'm sure, no. because no. some PE ratios are single digits, some are double digits, as you know. Can you explain something, please? Thank you.
1: Well, sure. Well, you're never there's never one figure. Okay. Anybody that says you just use one this one metric, and that's all you need, doesn't know what they're talking about. There's there's always multiple metrics. Now, it's also when you're analyzing the numbers, you want to look at them in relative terms. Not just absolute terms. You might say, you know, 8p ratio. Oh, that sounds cheap. That's low. Well, does it historically just stay around an 8p ratio? What if it vacillates between 6 and a 10p ratio instead of 8? your upside is that multiple to expand to 10. That's not great. Okay, so understanding where it historically trades at and where it's trading at today is important. But you probably don't want to use P either. You want to use something that is less manipulated. The E is always being manipulated via accounting rules. And the P is just looking at the market cap. Well, what about debt? That is important as well. How much debt does the company have? So that's why we like to look at enterprise value to cash flow to EBITDA, things like that. Okay. I think those are better metrics that you want to use. And once again, comparing it to where it trades historically. And then versus its peers, you want to look within the industry, similar type of companies. Are they, are are companies, you know, companies in this industry, are they typically trading at 25 times enterprise value to EBITDA? Or is it closer to 10 times? Because that's very important as well. 25 times might be cheap compared to how the industry typically trades. And you want to go through different cycles, you know, 10 plus years looking at those figures. And then you want to look at the durability and growth of the business. Now, has their business improved recently or deteriorated? Do you have faith that their business is going to endure for the next five, 10 years? Or do you see threats on the horizon? I'll give you an example: Visa and Mastercard. I think they trade at pretty high premiums. Well, what has emerged over the past decade or so? Cryptocurrencies, easier ways to transfer money, Venmo, Zelle, things like that. I'm not to say Mastercard Visa haven't grown, but do they deserve the multiple? When over the last decade. You know, they didn't have as much of that threat. These are things to think about. Now, it could be wrong, but that's the way I think about whether a company should be trading at the same multiple that it had been in the past. Okay? So, once again, there's multiple factors you have to consider. I know everybody wants this magic formula. Well, guess what? There's not a magic formula for knowing exactly when things are very valued or not it's looking at things in relation and then understanding the backdrop you can see find something that's very cheap but if hey it's a cyclical name and the economy is slowing it can continue to get cheaper and so you want to line up that inflection point of the economic backdrop that starts to help the businesses the business you're looking at and something that is ideally a reasonable value and that's what good quality management is about it's putting the odds in your favor when you buy things that are very expensive without you know just because you're buying bought into the story and the hopes and dreams of what the company could be well you get times like this where multiples come down and hey you bought it at absurd multiples And now it's coming down to reality. Okay. So it's really about having that discipline. And if you're having trouble building that discipline, if you need to know whether your portfolio is on the right track for the economic backdrop that we're in that I talked about at the top of the show, right? The demographic changes, deglobalization, ESG, all of these things that are driving newer trends that many are not used to. Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or C. Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do on the show, which is independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along in our success, and it's where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings or send us a message to investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. The
5: Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes.
1: I have a question for you about Amazon.
5: So your questions keep coming. I have a question about P-E ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance.
4: If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically
5: goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless, so don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-9999 chart
7: Hi Steve and Justin. I am calling with a question regarding real estate. I am thinking of putting a property on the market it's in the Bay Area and wondered the real estate agent I am looking to use I would want him as a um, dedicated agent but I heard their firm does dual agencies where I guess, one side represents the seller and then another person in the same firm represents the buyer. But I think the preferred way is just getting a dedicated agent for me to use and not go the hopefully not a dual agency. So I wanted to see what your thoughts are and I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I probably wouldn't want the buyer of my property to be represented by an agent that is within the same brokerage as my agent. Too many potential conflicts there. Um, ultimately I want my agent to be acting in my best interest. And when you have two side, you have the same agency, uh, on both sides, you don't know what's talked about, uh, you know, in, inside their walls. Uh, and whether that action is beneficial to you or not. Now they have a fiduciary duty to represent you, uh, as well as represent the buyer in a reasonable manner. That's in the best interest of, of both of you. So I would want somebody separate, to be honest with you. So I would go and you shouldn't have, it should be on the market, right? You should look at multiple offers have multiple people look at it. You shouldn't have a pocket listing. And it sounds kind of what you're talking about. I think pocket listings are questionable in their, just it's just questionable. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want, I want my property out there for everyone in the market to see so I can get the best price. Just say that.
4: 888 992 let's talk to Leo in Las Gatos. I always like saying Las Gatos, that's in California. How you doing, Leo?
2: Hi, pretty good. I have a comment. I'm a little facetious on this. Okay. When the feds print money, they call it QE. They give it a fancy name, right? Right. And when the average citizen prints money, they call it counterfeiting and put (laughs) them in jail. (laughs)
4: <laughs> it's exactly true. Yeah, they can do whatever they want, but if you do the same thing, uh-uh. You're going to jail. Look how much money That's the my... government's borrowing. If you borrow that kind of money, respectively, <laughs> you wouldn't get. They, you wouldn't be able to. <laughs> government can do anything. you got to yeah. look at the
2: humorous side of it, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for the good program.
4: Thanks, good. Leo. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. That's funny. Yeah, the government... <laughs> The government can do anything they want, but not not you, you gotta be real careful. <laughs> Anyways.
0: Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART.
4: Let's talk to Paul in San Francisco. He wants to talk about the market. Hi, Paul. Yes, uh, I'm in San Francisco and I live to you around o'clock and you're outstanding. And mm-hmm. I'm from Petro Hill. Anyway, how do you figure out what earnings will be next year? Is that possible? Okay, good question. It's always an estimate, right? It's always an estimate. Now, we download uh, software from various big houses that makes those estimates. How how do they come up with their estimates? Well, they have quote-unquote economists on board who does research, and some of the research is calling the companies that are gonna report earnings and calling the competitors, and they figure out what the economy is gonna do, and they come up with these estimates of numbers, and then we take several different corporations' estimates and combine them and get an average. That's the best you're going to do, and Paul, to be honest, is just a guess. It's accurate. just, so don't think it's accurate. Okay. Now, you'll hear me quote it all the time. Oh, they're going to make $4.82 next year. That's always an estimate. That's a guess. No one really knows. But it's pretty good. Okay, I can say that. Pretty good. Okay? Paul, appreciate your call. Thank you.
1: Now we're going to pivot over to an iTunes review question. Moviegoer says, what do you think of robo-advisors such as Vanguard? I normally invest in Vanguard ETFs and decided to give this service a try a year ago. It automated and I don't watch it or make purchases. They claim to base it off my risk tolerance and will automatically adjust my prior portfolio to help meet my retirement goals. There you go. That's an example is the robo-advisor services. That's what they do is they rebalance kind of uh, on a regular basis, often monthly, and try to target a particular risk tolerance level. Now, the issue with the vast majority of these robo-advisors is, They're just using index funds. And what are index funds doing? We've talked about many times. They're leaning towards the growth side of the market because they're investing in the S&P. They're investing in the total stock market index. They're investing in just an indices that that is market cap weighted and weighted towards the very largest companies in the market, which typically are those big mega cap techs. And that's why those are underperforming in a big, big way. So are they better than you Using indexes to do it on your own, probably because they're going to be a little more disciplined than you are, uh, but it definitely isn't the perfect solution.
7: Hi, Justin or Steve. This is Rick from Maryland calling. I have a really simple question, but um, I'm sure there's other listeners that probably um, would like this knowledge as well. So I've never actually sold a covered call that, that has expired in the money. So I bought Zillow when it dumped after earnings at like $33 a share bought a hundred shares and instantly sold a covered call at $40. It looks like I know there's no telling what will happen between now and June when it expires, but you know, let's just say it does expire in the money. Do I need to do anything? My broker is TD Ameritrade or will it just settle on its own? Like, will I need to actually sell the shares to cover the expired call in the money? I'm just curious. Appreciate uh, your insight and I look forward to your response. Thanks.
1: Great call. And the simple answer is no, you don't have to do anything. If a, if an option, if you hold an option, you're sorry, you're, you're short an option or you're long an option, whatever it is. And it's in the money that is going to be assigned to you upon expiration. So you don't have to do anything TD the will just execute it because the other side is going to probably execute it. If that's in the money. Okay, And they can do it beforehand. Remember that. Typically, it only happens kind of the week of option X. But they can do that. Now, one thing that people don't understand with cover calls is you don't need to have it called away from you, even if it's in the money. You can roll it out to a future date, meaning you buy back the call that you sold, and you sell a future strike. You can just simply roll it out with the same strike. You can roll it up into a different strike. You can roll it down into a lower strike. Depends on what strategy you want to create, how much income you're you're trying to, to create, what your view is on the particular stock. So I think that's one big mistake that most newer investors that try to sell cover calls don't understand. They think they're tied to that call forever. Uh-uh. You can buy it back at any time. You could sell a cover call today, right now, and two seconds later, buy it back. Okay. So understand that difference. Uh, let's take a live call. Kevin
4: from Maui, Hawaii wants to talk about interest rates.
1: How you doing, Steve?
4: Good Kevin.
6: Good. Uh, so, maybe a stupid question. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I couldn't refinance our house before now, so I'm doing it now. I'm on application, pre-approved, but I have to lock rates. And I just was curious if you have any input as to do I lock today or <laughs> just wait? You know, is this is this like if I got to lock sometime in the next three or four weeks? I, so I would probably lock, best to just I just
4: lock them in now because rates. yeah because because the Fed's going to raise rates in the first part of May. And that will and rates will start to creep up before that. So I, I would lock it in as soon as possible.
0: I really would.
6: Okay, and then quickly, I know I've I've been trying to get a portfolio. Not trying. I I, tr- I missed you when I was in LA. I I got your link, so I'm going to set up a time with you. But I'm wondering about a ten fifteen. We can afford the payment on a ten fifteen or thirty. Uh-huh. And the rates are obviously better on an adjust, a fixed 10 and then adjust after that. Uh, right. And longer-term interest rates, if we keep this, do you, do you have any input on on where, you know, you think yeah. the cycles would happen I'll, I'll, 10 I, years?
4: I think rates long-term are going to stay around 5%, maybe 5 to 6%. So I think you lock in the lower rate as long as you can. Appreciate the call. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART,
5: 888-992-4278. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, we have another live call. Always glad to get those. This time, we go to Richard in the Bay Area. Actually, this is Castro Valley, and he's listening on AM 1220, asking about cash.
2: Yeah, uh, I use uh, Treasury Direct, four-week mm-hmm. and eight-week notes,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then I have them laddered for storage of cash. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned CDs and other things that all have mm-hmm. you know, issues. Uh, mm-hmm. So, from a security standpoint, is that the wrong place to put it?
1: Uh, well, what yield are you getting on eight-month CDs or eight-month uh, securities? Excuse me. No, eight-week, full eight week four-week,
2: and eight-week. Yeah, uh, right around a percent, one
7: point one.
1: Okay, right in there. Yeah, I think that's not a bad way to go, especially if you're okay locking the money up for that period of time. It's still pretty short-term, right? Two two months or so. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, and you know, laddering that is probably better than a liquid, a liquid money market account. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, I, I know I use for my kind of short-term cash Marcus by Goldman Sachs. I think it's they just upped it to, I think 60 basis points or 70 basis points somewhere in there, which is not mm-hmm. as good as what you're getting. Um, but obviously, I can. Kind of take that out uh, very easily, very quickly if I if I need to. Uh, now CD lock it up longer, but you can get up to you know two and a half percent on a on a two year. Uh, so that's not a bad way to go either. Uh, it just depends on your your time horizon. But that Treasury Direct and that those four four week and eight week uh, notes that's not a bad way to go if you are uh, you know trying to get you know some yield off of that very very short term. Cash that you have. Thanks for the call.
0: Uh, Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it
1: at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Now's the best time. Let's go to Ken in Texas who wants to talk about corporate bonds.
2: Yeah, Justin, um, you know, I've always heard that you're supposed to allocate according to your age, like subtract your age from uh Um, you know 100 and then Mm -hmm. have like with me 70 years old 70 percent bonds and 30 percent equities Mm -hmm. is is that what kind of credence do you give that and I also have one other question I've uh, got uh, allocation of 40 percent 47 percent fixed 33 equity and 20 in cash right now And, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering am I too heavy on on the bonds. what What's your thoughts on all of
1: that? Well, I think the 100 minus your age is a good baseline that you want to think about. But I don't think it should be used as gospel. Everyone's a little bit different. Uh, and their time horizons different. So for example, you might be 70. But this money might be earmarked for a child, one of your, your children or grandchildren. And therefore, the time horizon for those investments are a lot longer. So you want to think about uh, that. And then consideration of what's where the best opportunities in the market are as well. So do you should you lean on bonds when yields remain very, very low? You know, probably not. Um, So that might be lower than it typically would be. Uh, Also, consideration of your income needs uh, is, having that mix and that income level uh, sufficient to live on, then you know, maybe that is a good mix for you. So having it as a baseline is is fine. But just like everything, you have to make adjustments for your own particular situation, your own time horizon. Uh, How old are you? Ken? I'm 70. You're 70. Okay. So yeah,
2: and what you, I'm looking at, pardon me, but what I'm looking at is on the bonds. I mean, I can get in 4 and 5% fixed on it, in my, and right now we spend what we uh, take, and we're balanced on our uh-huh. income expenses.
6: Uh-huh. And
2: so, I, you know, if I can put it in bonds that mature in 25 or 26 and get my, my uh, money back on it, then that's mm-hmm. kind of where I've been looking on the bond end of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a good idea. We're, we're definitely finding uh, fixed income opportunities in the corporate bond space, now up to five and a half percent, 6% sometimes, and uh, going out just a few, for, you know, three, four, five years. And I think that is, this is a much better time to be buying bonds than it was over the past few years. Now, is it fantastic yields? No, but definitely relative, it's it's getting a lot better. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can find those yields, five, 6%, and then you can uh, have confidence they're going to stay in business over the next uh, four or five years, then that's a good place to be, If uh, especially if you're uh, reliant on that income. So uh, you have some cash, but you probably want to put some of that cash to work right now uh, in the corporate bond space. Okay. All right, my friend. Thank you. God bless no y'all. I appreciate you. Thanks for the call, Ken. Thank you.